Welcome to The Lens Live. In this special one-off edition, we listen to Michael Maisie, founder of the CIP Project, who's speaking at a Business in the Community event. Michael talks of his traumatic childhood, his life as a young offender, how kindness turned his life around, and he shares his calls to action for business about how they can break down barriers to employment. Today, I'm 14 years sober from alcohol and drugs. I'm an author and I'm the founder of a non-profit organisation called the CIP Project. CIP stands for Change is Possible, and we help people who've experienced childhood trauma, addiction, um, been to prison, even ex-military veterans with uh, PTSD. You know, I'd like to think that today I'm not too bad a guy, but I'd be willing to take a pretty big bet that if you guys hadn't met me back then or any time more than 14 years ago, you wouldn't have liked me much. You know, I was loud. I was angry. I was unpredictable. My mother was an Irish immigrant from a big gypsy family, and she struggled with alcoholism. My father was a heroin addict, and he left before I was one. From a young age, I drank. I took drugs. I stole things. In fact, I didn't just steal things. I stole things whilst in possession of firearms. So if you'd lived near me back then, you would have been pretty relieved to hear that at the age of 16, I was convicted and I was sent to prison where I was locked up for 23 hours a day. It seems pretty clear cut, doesn't it? You've got a troubled kid from a broken home who's a menace to society. Yeah, the best thing we can do for him is to lock him up, teach him a lesson. I wanna give you a little bit of context to my story. So when I was born, I wasn't born an evil person. I'm pretty sure of that. My uncle came to live with us. And my uncle grew up in a children's home not too far from here on the Raven Hill Road. And my uncle grew up in this children's home from a young age. And he experienced physical and sexual abuse every day of his life. So when he came to live with us in England, he did the same to me. For about six months, which when you're five years old, felt like a really long time. And it had a significant change on how I viewed the world. You know, I didn't just look traumatized. I developed a miserable and negative view of the world. I judged this world to be unfriendly and unsafe. I thought to myself, if this is what the people you live with do to you, then what's the world outside gonna be like? And a coping strategy I had was to behave terribly. Because if I behaved terribly, most adults didn't want to be around me. And if adults didn't want to be around me, that equaled safety to me. So I knew I could keep myself safe by keeping adults at arm's length by behaving in a bad way. And I surrounded myself with other young people who behaved in a similar way to myself. You know, I'm not sure how many of the young people in my community experienced the same sort of trauma that I did. But I know we all felt threatened and unsafe. You know, over the years, we 
developed a shield. And we grew into that shield. It helped us protect us from the outside world. We also wore a mask. And the mask was really useful. It helped hide our true emotions from the outside world. We fought fear with bravado. And we did a lot of bad things. Things that I'm not proud of today. But when I look back, what I see is a group of young men trying to survive in what we saw was a hostile world. You know, many years later, when I eventually got on this journey of recovery, I stumbled across a quote by a man called Albert Einstein. In an interview, Albert Einstein was asked, what's the most important question that you can ask? And Einstein replied, the most important question you can ask is, is this universe a friendly place or not? And he elaborated on that. He said, because if we decide that this universe is a friendly place, we will build bridges of understanding with the outside world. But if we decide that this universe is an unfriendly place, we will build walls to keep ourselves safe from the outside world. Now, I suspect everyone in my gang, in my community, especially me, we decided from a really young age that this world is not safe. And we simply were doing everything we could to survive. Now, unfortunately, society decided in all its wisdom to ignore the words of Albert Einstein and decided to lock us up in prison instead. In fact, most of the young people from my community went to prison where we were locked up in cells for 23 hours a day. You know, a lot of people get locked up here in the UK every year. There's about 85,000 in total. And in 2019, an independent inquiry took place. And one of the things that came out of that inquiry was that they described the scale of alleged abuse in these institutions as shockingly high. You know, we have politicians who win votes by saying things like, I'm going to get tough on crime. I'm going to get tough on the causes of crime which ultimately ends up meaning, somewhere down the line, you're gonna to get tough with people like us. You know, and I hate to be controversial, but when you really think about what leads most people into prison, and then what actually happens to them when they're in prison, it's one of the most worst thought out policies in history. You know, I'm sort of half proud to be an expert on prison life, having tested it myself a few times as a teenager. But ever since I founded my organization, we run intensive workshops in prisons all over the UK, even here in Belfast. And in all the years I've been doing that, I have not yet come across one person who hasn't experienced childhood trauma. Whether it's physical abuse, sexual abuse, a parent who's absent or who struggles with addiction. And I think it's more than a coincidence that all of our prison population seems to have this one thing in common. If you've grown up in an underprivileged home or experienced childhood trauma, the likelihood is that you're going to end up in prison at some point in your life. And this is where there's a problem because one of the byproducts of childhood trauma is anger. And when you lock angry people up together, you can give them decent meals, gyms, qualifications, but none of that gets to the root of their problems nor does locking them up for 23 hours every day. Or in the age of coronavirus, it was actually longer. 
we lock them up for 23 and a half hours a day. Some of the prisons here in the UK are still locking inmates up to this day for 23 and a half hours every single day. Now look, you have to punish crime. I'm not suggesting we don't. I think bad behaviour has to have a consequence. But we also have to help people rehabilitate, help them to understand why they act this way. Because if we don't, we're simply treating a structural flaw with a lick of paint. You see, I believe that a traumatised, angry person will always revert to violence unless the source of that trauma is healed. You know, I can vouch for this myself. I experienced pretty much every form of torture before I went to prison and when I was out of prison. And each one made me worse, made me more angry, more afraid, more desperate to protect myself. Until one day at the age of 18 in my prison cell, I looked forward at the rest of my life and I couldn't see any hope. And that's, the, that's when I decided I would take my own life. You know, the first thing I remember was hanging from the bars in my cell with my bedsheet wrapped around my neck. And the next thing I remember was being resuscitated by two prison officers who were incredibly sympathetic at the time. They carried me by my wrists and my ankles and tossed me into a padded cell once they realized I was breathing again. And this is where the strangest thing started happening. As I laid on the floor in the fetal position of this padded cell, I found myself asking for help from someone somewhere, a higher power perhaps. I said, please help me. If you help me, I promise I'll do better with my life. I'll go further than that. Not only will I do better with my life, I promise I'll come back to prisons and try and help people change their life as well. You know, it's a commitment I've taken seriously ever since that day. But in hindsight, it was a lot easier said than done. You know, I left prison with no qualification, no CV. I had no preparation on how to handle the difficult questions that were thrown at me in the job interviews. Every day I'd go out applying for jobs and everyone would say no. It's like facing this constant wall of rejection every single day. And that was really hard. But what was even harder was returning to my community where everyone was drinking, taking drugs, selling drugs, committing crime and making money in what I saw was an easy way. And I came really close to giving up until finally someone saw enough in me, or at least was desperate enough to give me a job. And it was to be a litter picker, going around the streets of London with a black bag and uh, a little stick. And so here I was at the age of 19 at that time, at a real crossroads in my life. I remember sort of asking myself this question of, Michael, you say you want to change. Well, how badly do you want it? And I'm so proud of my 19-year-old self for being brave enough and humble enough to accept the job. Because I can honestly say that whilst doing that job, that's where I started to witness acts of kindness on a regular basis for the first time in my life. You know, it was the small things at first. I would see joggers out running in the park who would stop, pick up someone else's litter and go and put it in the bin. I know this sounds really simple, right? But in my community, you would struggle to get people to even pick up their own litter. 
This was like these little things I was witnessing were slowly changing my view of the world. The other thing that used to get me was when I'd see parents walking their children to school. And what really stood out to me was that both parents were there, both parents were happy, both parents were sober. Again, it sounds really normal, right? But in my community, often the fathers weren't around. And if the mother was still around, she normally struggled with alcoholism or addiction. But the thing that really sort of sealed the deal and changed my view of the world was sometimes I'd sit at Kingston train station where there used to be a lot of homeless people and the young professionals would go to work in their suits and would always make time to give money to the homeless people. Sometimes food, coffee, money. And this is where the most peculiar thing started happening within me was that as I witnessed these random acts of kindness by complete strangers, my view of the world slowly started to change. I started to think maybe this world isn't as unfriendly as I thought it was. You know, and as my view of the world changed and I thought it was a bit more of a friendly place, I felt a bit more confident and comfortable to reach out and ask others for help. You know, so just as Einstein had predicted that if we view this world to be a friendly place, we will build bridges of understanding with the outside world. This was literally happening to me at the age of 19. I didn't even know it. But listen, don't just, uh, don't just take my word for it or Albert Einstein's. Let me introduce you to another character that didn't come up much in conversation when I was a teenager. It's called Mahatma Gandhi. Now, Gandhi once quoted that the greatness of a nation can be measured by how it treats its weakest members. You know, my take on this is really simple. If you could imagine for a moment, we could start society all over again with a completely blank canvas. And we looked at the issue of the children who suffer the most. I'm talking about the children who are beaten, abandoned, abused, neglected. And we look at that as a problem that we want to try to fix. Would we decide we're going to remove them from this environment where they're suffering and put them in to another environment where they can suffer some more? I want to say a bit more about the prison statistics as well, because only 0.09% of the UK's population are in prison. Yet, once released from prison, there's a 75% chance that you'll reoffend within a decade. And it's no surprise when you understand now how traumatized and broken these people are. But let's look at this from a business perspective. Imagine you owned a business that failed 75% of the time. Your business would probably go broke within a month. All this highlights for me is that our approach to this problem doesn't work. It's morally, pragmatically and commercially flawed. And I suspect in years to come in our children's children's time, we may look back at this time in our history. We may reflect on how we treated the most traumatized and underprivileged members of our society. And we might be pretty ashamed of ourselves. You know, sometimes to fix an issue as complex as this one, you have to step away from the politics, away from the headlines, away from the status quo. You need to look at things a bit differently. So I want to invite you all to Use my life story as an example. 
What was the catalyst to create a better world for me? It wasn't about me being tougher. It wasn't about the system being tougher on me. It was actually kindness. As I viewed the world to be a more friendly place, demonstrated by acts of kindness by random members of the public, I started to change. And I know this sounds really soft, coming from someone like me with a backstory like my own. But I want you all to hear that I spent a large portion of my life trying to be tough. I need to realize how pointless and dangerous it is. You know, for the past 14 years, I've volunteered my time in schools, colleges and prisons all over the UK. And kindness has taken on a real new meaning for me. And I'd like to impart some of that with you before I leave here today. You know, kindness for me is about recognizing another person's trauma. So, for instance, if you were to meet someone like I once was, who's loud, angry, arrogant, unpredictable, take a moment to look behind this display of aggression. And what you'll likely see is a childhood that's filled with trauma. Simply recognizing that in another human being is an act of kindness. You don't even need to fix it. Just recognize it. Kindness is about being charitable, giving up your time and your money. Not for fame, not for likes on social media, just to make this world a better place. Could you imagine a world with more kindness? I believe we'd see a slow and gradual decline in some of the things we suffer with most as human beings. You think in a, a kinder world we'd see less violence, less bullying, less war. We'd see less greed, less hunger, less starvation. We'd even see less deforestation. We might choose to leave some of the natural habitat to the wildlife. So my invitation for you all when you leave here today is really reflect on how you can be kinder to yourself, kinder to your loved ones, kinder to those who are suffering, and kinder to our planet. Because I believe that kindness is uh, the most effective way that we can create a better world. Thank you. If you're thinking, what's just one thing my business could do to help someone like a young Michael, then sign up to Business in the Community's Ban the Box initiative. We're simply asking you to remove the first criminal conviction checkbox from the initial job application and ask these questions later in the recruitment process. More than one million job roles are now more accessible to people with criminal convictions from those companies that have signed up to ban the box. Yours can too. Visit www.bitc.org.uk slash ban the box.